600 ESPN El Paso. Our phone number, 505-6009. That's 505-6009. Adrian, I am wrapping up a story on the website. And this was an, uh, this was a fun story to write. Um, I am taking a look at the NBA Finals tonight through all the former minors that have worn Celtics and Warriors jerseys. Now, I really give this a lot of thought, and to be honest with you, I was expecting a tiebreaker, which would have been John Bohannon because he's been playing in the G League for the Celtics teams the last couple of years throughout his career, but I didn't need Bo as a tiebreaker because ultimately we have two former minors on the Celtics, two former minors on the Warriors, and when you match them up, as I write about in the story, you have to measure it on rings. And wow, I love this. I love this. Jim Bad News Barnes spent two seasons with the Celtics in the late 60s. He won a ring in 68-69, backing up uh, Bill Russell with the Celtics. Nate Tiny Archibald came to the Boston Celtics in 78-79 as a 30-year-old. Had some very good years in Boston. Spent four seasons with the Celtics, and he won a ring in 81. And was also the NBA uh, All-Star Game MVP in 81. Now, on the flip side, Dave Feidel spent a year in Golden State, the 86-87 season, and Feidel had the best numbers of his career with the, uh, with the Warriors that year. It was 6.5 points and uh, 4.8 rebounds per game. Backup center. Although he did start 19 of his 70 games with the Warriors that year. And then two years later, uh, here comes Tim Hardaway. And Hardaway, you know, we can look at his, his value with the Heat, and how great he was with the Heat with Alonzo Mourning, but I still believe that prior to the knee injury, Tim Hardaway was on his on, on his way to becoming the greatest scoring point guard in the history of the NBA. I, I really believe that. I mean, had he stuck around in Golden State with Don Nelson and they kept run TMC intact past the early 90s, I absolutely believe that Tim Hardaway, without that knee injury, uh, is the greatest scoring point guard in the history of the NBA because he was just piling up ridiculous numbers his first you know three four seasons. Then he gets hurt in '93, misses the season, and then two years later gets shipped off to Miami. So I looked at the numbers and I thought, well, Hardaway was the best scorer of the four. Hardaway had three All Star game appearances in Golden State. Tiny had three all-star game appearances in Boston, so they cross each other out. You could almost cross out bad news and Fidel together. So when it comes down to it, Hardaway scored more points, but Tiny and bad news each got a ring. How do we measure greatness? Rings. So, unfortunately, Hardaway never got a ring. Never got a ring in Miami, never got a ring in Golden State, never got a ring anywhere. Although he does get a Hall of Fame ring because he's in the Hall of Fame. So to me, if we're just going to compare the four former minors, we have to give the edge to the Celtics because Bad News and Tiny both left Boston with a championship ring apiece. 
This is a really interesting uh, thought, Steve, because you told me this yes, uh, yesterday. We were trying to think of tiebreakers. I like the John Bohannon idea, but what's a better tiebreaker than the rings argument? I mean, this is just right there. And I, I couldn't agree with you more when it came to run TMC and the impact that Tim Hardaway had with the Golden State Warriors at that time. Uh, and I also look at Nate Tiny Archibald. He's considered one of the top 100 NBA players of all time. So All you, 75. He's also uh, NBA uh, 75th anniversary team. Yeah, it's it's also real special to kind of reflect now that you're kind of reeling off all the accolades you know UTEP has two alumni uh, who are in the basketball hall of fame like this and I know the team is as well the 1966 national championship team is as well but to have individuals who've had uh, achievements at the NBA level at the highest level it just speaks to the program that UTEP built under uh, under legendary head coach Don Haskins and some of the great players that ended up coming through uh, El Paso and and UTEP and yeah it's it's really interesting to kind of reflect on these two teams. I know that Tim Hardaway currently does some things when it comes to the Golden State Warriors and their, uh, you know, their game day productions and stuff like that. But man, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, I love the the alumni references when it comes to the Celtics and the Warriors. Oh, it's fun! It is fun. So, uh, and this is this was a fun story to think about because as I was trying to go through the numbers when they were both playing and trying to figure out who gets the advantage. Got to give the advantage to the Celtics just for the sheer purpose of the championships. You have to. You do. You really although, have to. Although between the four, look, Hardaway was a machine when he was with uh, Golden State. Again, a lot of that was prior to the injury. And by the way, uh, just so you understand what kind of level he was on, I would say Tim Hardaway in Golden State very, very similar, very similar to Tiny Archibald in Cincinnati and then Kansas City. Like, if you look at the numbers, okay, um, and, and granted, Hardaway never averaged 34 a game, which Archibald did his third season. But that was by far Tiny's best scoring season. Most of the time, he was somewhere in the, uh, you know, the anywhere between, well, it was he had injuries to deal with too, okay? So most of the times, like, uh, 24 to 27 a game, which is exactly what Hardaway was in Golden State. That was Archibald early in his career. And then Tiny goes to Boston and averages 11, 14, 13, 8, and 12, 6. So the scoring wasn't there, but they didn't need him to score. They had, they had a loaded team. They had Bird for crying out loud. And really, when you think about it, you know, Tiny finished his career in 83, and if you look at the you know, the 83 Celtics, which was, um, you know, a team that ended up going 56 and 26 under Bill Fitch. Hey, that team had already been the start of something special. They already had McHale. They already had Parrish. They had uh, Cedric Maxwell. They had Bird. We mentioned him earlier. They had Quinn Buckner. They had Ainge. Um, you know, they had, they had a nice group. ML Carr was on that team. So Tiny was the vet. He was the old man on the team because nobody else had more than eight years experience. And that was Scott Wedman. So for the most part, it was a younger nucleus. And then we all know what happened to the Celtics in the mid to late eighties. They became one of the great dynasties in basketball along with the Lakers. But Tiny was there for the, for the beginning of that run. And that to me is what makes it so much fun. Whereas Hardaway was there from the very beginning. So that is fun when you think about 
the X minors. And there's only four, not a lot of them. And the Celtics have, you know, older uh, older X players because um bad news was a Texas Western minor. He wasn't a UTEP minor. Tiny, some argue is the greatest minor of all time. By the way, Tiny and, and Hardaway are often in the same ca- category, and you could make the argument those are the two greatest minors of all time. And how funny that the two greatest minors of all time are both in this conversation playing for the two teams in the NBA Finals during various stages of their NBA careers. Yeah, most definitely. I look at just, uh, I mean, gosh, Steve, I'm looking at Tiny's uh, career highlights, his awards, and then his numbers. Like, these are video game numbers. These numbers hold very well to this day. Like, if a, a scoring point guard put up 34 points a game and averaged 11 assists and led the league in both those statistical categories, we would be ta- we would be leading sports talk, talking about that individual player. Because those kind of numbers right there are video game numbers and he did it in 46 minutes of action when he was with the Kansas City basketball team at that time before you know that that team folded in the 70s but it just shows you what what kind of a dominant player Tiny Archibald really was and uh, you know you have to give a lot of uh, credit to what Hardaway did during his stints in both Miami and Golden State and I I agree with you I think he was more known for what he did with the Warriors during that time uh, versus what he did with the Heat although I felt like both stints were very notable. I'm with you on that one. I'm with you. So, I don't know. It's, it, it is kind of fun. You know, we could do this for every Super Bowl and every NBA Finals if it's possible. It's a lot easier for Super Bowls because there's been a lot more former Utah football players playing in the NFL than Utah basketball players playing in the NBA. It's a short list of NBA players. It really is. As you said, only two Hall of Famers um, that, was, that were players, you know, Haskins is a coach, the 66 team is a team, but really um, you look at um, players and you've got also, uh, um, which we shouldn't forget, uh, Nolan Richardson, former minor player coach in the Hall of Fame. But as far as players go that are a Hall of Fame worthy, you're dealing with only Archibald and Hardaway, and that's it. Yeah, but it's still pretty impressive, right, Steve? Like UTEP, Texas Western, having these players go through their program, have a lot of success here in El Paso, become fan favorites, and then take it to the next level. Because, you know, you, you see a lot of players at the at the college level have success, get drafted, go on to the next level. UTEP has arguably had better players who've posted better individual seasons than both Nate Archibald and Tim Hardaway, but Having that longevity, being able to do it at the professional level, that's what makes it all so special with these two guys. 100% right. 100% right. And by the way, um, Archibald wore number 10 with the Cincinnati Royals, 10 with the Kansas City Omaha Kings, 1 with the Omaha Kings, and then he went to the New York Nets, wore number 1 in 1977, and then in 79 to 83, uh, 7 with the Celtics. Pretty wild. And by the way, I mean, you know, the 76-77 season, the New York Nets were terrible. They were 20 they were 22 and 60. Okay? That was a bad bad basketball team. And part of the reason was the previous year they got rid of Dr. J. So they got rid of Dr. J and ultimately who was, um, you know, who was the star of the team that year? Nate Archibald. Because Dr. J was already in 76-77 playing uh, for the Philadelphia uh, 76ers. So the year before, they were a 55-win team. 
Dr. J was the toast of, you know, the sports. Well, then they left the ABA, went into the NBA, and uh, that was a reality check. The New York Nets uh, struggled that year. Yeah, you know, they're last in the division that season, only winning, like you said, 22 games that year. Uh, just a, a real, real bad season. I, what was the deal? Did he get dealt to Boston? Was it like a free agency type of thing? Uh, Tiny you're talking about? Yes, that's right. Uh, the situation with Tiny to Boston, if I'm not mistaken, let me double check this, make sure I've got my facts straight on this, because that is a good question. He was... Traded to the Celtics by the San Diego Clippers, okay? And he was part of a trade that actually included Danny Ainge as a draft pick that year. Wow, what a what a steal right there of a draft pick. I mean, yeah. of, of, a, of a trade right there by Boston. Because the Nets, so the Nets traded him to the Buffalo Braves. And then um, what ended up happening was... He never played for Buffalo and instead um, ended up in Boston. It's kind of an, an interesting – I don't think he ever played in the 77-78 oh, season. He, he tore his Achilles that yep. year. That's yep. what ended up happening. Yep. So gets traded, never plays, goes then to the Clippers, and the Clippers traded him um, to the Celtics. Interesting trade. So interesting because I'm reading the NBA 75 profile. They say that the transition to the Celtics was not welcomed very well, Steve, because Archibald was 20 pounds overweight after he had tore his Achilles. His play was slow, and then he was also known to be clumsy, and his role was ill-defined. So he had to kind of work his way back from rupturing that Achilles. Uh, And and you're talking about late uh, 70s, uh, you know, kind of rehab and and, uh, you know coming back from that injury, and then having that much success with the Celtics as he did. Think about with today's marvels of modern medicine how difficult it is to come back from Achilles tears. Now, right. nowadays. Now, let's take that back um, you know, 45 years and think about what it was like 45 years ago. Because again, you hurt your you blow out a, a knee or an Achilles then, it's almost impossible to come back. Yeah, that's what makes this leg- his legacy just even more special. The fact that he works his way back, helps the Celtics win an NBA title, and, and you know finishes as one of the best players to ever play the sport. Fun story as we get yourself ready for tonight's Game 1 between the Celtics and the Warriors. All right, when we come back, Jay Jaffe is going to talk a little baseball and beer with us. we got a busy lineup, another great show for you here today, which will include members of the UTEP track and field team in about 45 minutes. They'll be in our Lubingo studio. Studios dropping by, but first, let's say hello to Charlie One. He has traffic update number one on this Thursday edition of the program. With uh, this man, he is our Major League Baseball insider. Comes on with us every week, has for almost the last fifteen years. Uh, back when his when he started it. Baseball prospectus over the years. He's not only been at Sports Illustrated, but now for a while he's over at Fangraphs. Talks baseball and beer with us every week. He is uh, Mr. Jay Jaffe. And uh, Jay joins us uh, today uh, to talk uh, about all the comings and goings around the bigs. Man, I saw your uh, tweets yesterday. It's got to stink when you go all the way from Brooklyn to the Bronx expecting to watch a Yankee game only to be told uh, the game is going to be rained out. 
Yeah, and uh, yes, it, it, it's true. And I was especially frustrated because this was the third straight game uh, that I've tried to go to that was rained out. Two of them were canceled before I left the house. One Yankees game, one Cyclones game, uh, both of them Friday night games. But uh, I was really looking forward to this. And, and I went all the way up there this time, and uh, the Yankees uh, did something that they've been all too prone to do in years past, although people tell me it's happened less often this year, which is open the park, uh, despite the inclement weather, uh, ring, uh, ring, ring a good amount of concessions money out of people uh, while they wait for uh, the word on whether the game is going to happen, and then the game gets called, and they've pocketed your money, but uh, there's nothing to do. So um, that was a bit of a bummer. I'd, I, I was hoping I might be able to squeeze in a trip to the park this afternoon for the makeup game, uh, but the weather looked pretty bad. Um, when I made my decision last night that I, or this morning that I didn't think I could do it, but uh, turned out it held out to the ninth inning. So um, I missed a, I missed an Otani start, but uh, I'll have to trade my ticket in for for a sunnier day. Well, you didn't miss much because Otani only pitched three innings and uh, did not fare well at all. Gave up four runs and lost the game. And meanwhile, uh, Nestor Cortez has been a revelation for the Yankees. Seven innings of shutout baseball, seven strikeouts to lower his earn run average in the season to 1.5 and win his fifth game of the year as the Yankees ended up beating the Angels 6-1. Yeah, Cortez has been fantastic. I mean, I wanted to see him pitch just as much as I wanted to see Otani. And look, I saw an even worse Otani start last year. So um, when he got he got knocked out in the in the in the first inning. So um, the Yankees just seem to have his number. But uh, uh, Cortez is pitching like a guy who uh, uh, has a shot at the Cy Young Award. It's just been a remarkable story. And he's not a not a guy who who uh, overpowers you, but uh, he's got great command and uh, uh, really keeps hitters off balance with a variety of looks and. Uh, um, just a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, he really has been. I mean, and you think about the Yankees. I mean, Yankees and Mets, my goodness, Jay. They both can't lose. The Yankees are 35-15. and 15. They're rolling. The Mets are having similar success, except they're doing it without Jake DeGrom right now and Max Scherzer and even a Tyler McGill. It's pretty remarkable. And uh, let's be honest, between the Rangers and the Stanley Cup Eastern Conference Finals and uh, the Yankees and Mets, uh, New York sports fans have something to cheer about right now. <laughs> for a change, yeah, no, it's 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 nice, and it is impressive that the Mets have been able to uh, to keep to keep going uh, uh, despite losing Scherzer recently. They've already got a double digit lead, I believe. Somebody said this was the largest lead by any team uh, through the end of May in in the division play era, and that's with uh, uh, that's with there being no games until April seventh. So, uh, good job by the Mets here, and uh, bad job by the rest of the NL East, I guess. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the NL East is uh, is not been good at all, and that's benefited the Mets uh, in a big way, you might say, because uh, nobody's even given them a run. And uh, at the same time, when you have a lead in early June like these two teams, I mean, at least Toronto and Tampa made it interesting. They're only five and five and a half back. But when the Mets have a ten and a half game lead over the Braves, a twelve and a half game lead over the Phillies, and a thirteen game lead over the Marlins, uh, the bigger question is going to be: Can any of those other three teams rise up and make it interesting because uh, nobody's even playing 500 or better baseball right now. Yeah, I, you know, I still think the Braves are a better team than than they've shown. But um, you know, and it's worth pointing out that a good a good part of the reason why uh, the Phillies are under 500 is that the Mets have beaten them nine out of 12 here. 
Um, they've also beaten the Nationals 8 out of 10 so far. So almost half their wins have come against those two teams. Uh, let's see here, doing some math, they're, uh, 18 and, eight, they're 18 and 12 against the other teams, which is still 600, but um, you know, they've, they've really padded their, uh, uh, padded their margin against those two teams. Uh, Jay Jaffe with us right now here on Sports Talk, talking uh, baseball and beer. Today is Lou Gehrig Day in baseball because we lost him on uh, June the 2nd, 1941 from ALS, which was uh, renamed Lou Gehrig's disease, at uh, just uh, the, the young age of, what, uh, 37 at the time? Or was he 38, Jay? I mean, I, yo- yeah. It- 37, I believe. Incredible when you think about it. Um, yeah, just 37 years of age. And uh, he was, I think, 17 days short of uh, turning 38 when he died in Riverdale in the Bronx. And you look at you look back at, at his numbers, and I'm curious because I was listening to uh, Chris Russo talk about this earlier on his national show. He believes that Gehrig is amongst the, uh, the, the four best ever to play the game of baseball, uh, along with Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, and uh, Ted Williams. And, you know, you look at some of the numbers he put up, uh, their video game numbers, even for those days, and that 1927 season, uh, Jay, when he hit 373, 47 home runs, and 173 runs batted in, uh, still goes down with 447 total bases as one of the greatest seasons ever. Yeah, look, Ruth, I mean, uh, Gehrig was absolutely a fantastic player. I, Chris Russo's frame of reference, though, needs some updating. I mean, I'm not about to, uh, buy, to buy into the idea that three of the four best players ever to play the game did so prior, exclusively prior to integration, and, and, and the fourth one, uh, half his career prior to integration. I mean, that's preposterous. Um, you know, but uh, I don't, th- and I don't think I don't think we need to go that far in elevating Gehrig to say that you know he 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 has a case as the greatest first base of all time. His career was tragically cut short by by a fatal illness that unfortunately is still uh, ravaging people. Um, one of my colleagues uh, at Fangraphs, Jeff Zimmerman, who writes on the on the fantasy side, his brother uh, died of ALS earlier this week at age 42. Very sad story there. I mean, it's just. It's a disease that we've made, made no advances against, and, and uh, um, uh, that's just that's the real tragedy of it right now. Hundred percent. And by the way, just out of curiosity, I mean, when you when you gauge Gehrig, how tough is it for you to look at the greats prior to integration and try to compare them to the greats post integration? I mean, you know, you just when you use WAR, the one of the one of the big. One of the big things you have to remember is is that the quality of play rises over time. What you're measuring is 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 the the distance between uh, you know in the for a Hall of Famer. It's the great, a great player versus uh, a player who's you know slightly below average, freely available, and that quality of player has risen over time. And the you know the so the 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 level of of overall play has gone up. So it's easier for the all-time greats to have the 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 eye-popping figures, it's much more impressive to have a ten, like a ten-war season, like Mike Trout is having in this day and age, when the when the overall uh, talent level of the game is is so much higher because uh, you have to, you you have to be that much better than than what than a player who would have been probably pretty good, uh, certainly drawing from a larger talent pool uh, than than what the um, uh, the competitors to, to Ruth and Garrett were in, in their day. Good point. Bottom of the hour. More with Jay as we continue here on Sports Talk. But first, let's go to Adrian and get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update.
congratulations, by the way, to our pal, Jason Craig, who's now a member of the team. Well done, Jason. First came through our doors a few years ago. Prior to being a uh, UTEP sports DJ, now he has joined the team as a producer. Whether he likes it or not, he's now stuck with us for a while. And I'm looking forward to that, especially, Adrian, uh, the fact that uh, he'll be working with us on occasion when we take time off. Yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to get Jason in studio. We, we're, we've been chopping up the entire show. Uh, he's going to be helping us out with El Paso Chihuahua's broadcast here on Sports Talk. Hopefully recruit him in the fall for some high school football and some UTEP football. Uh, so, yeah, Jason, welcome aboard, man. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited. How you doing, Steve? I'm all right, Jason. Uh, you as well. I mean, uh, listen, you were one of those people that when Adrian put it out there, we were looking for somebody. You, you jumped on board. You wanted to come on. And by the way, uh, you weren't alone. I want to thank uh, and tell everybody that reached out to Adrian I, how much we appreciate their interest. We had a lot of very good candidates, a lot of excellent resumes. And uh, just for that alone, thank all of you for uh, at least your interest in the position. Ultimately, Jason, uh, that's going to be you. And uh, excited about now uh, a chance to, to learn the ropes around here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Adrian's doing a great job, you know, showing me around. And today was quite uh overwhelming so i'm very excited very excited good i am too um we have a phone call by the way speaking of exciting we're excited just we have a phone call on the line that's always a a nice thing as uh, sports talk continues that telephone number for those of you that uh, have never dialed into the show we'd love to have you on 915-505-6009 that is 915-505-6009 so Looking forward to that. Let's go to Raul. He joins us next on the program. Hey, Raul, thanks for the call. Welcome to Sports Talk. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks, Raul. Appreciate you getting in. What's going on? So um, I've been seeing all the news about it, and I'm just thinking, like, um, should we really be giving Dana Dimo a contract extension? All right. Now, I'm happy you brought this up, Raul. First off, how old are you? I'm 13. Good deal. All right. Now, believe it or not, I've had lots of callers that were your age call in starting in their teenage years, and they're still calling in today. Heck, one of them's in his late 30s, and he started when he was about 13 Mm -hmm. or 14, just like you. So good job, first off, calling in at the age of 13. Now, you tell me, um, are are you a big UTEP football fan? Yeah, I am. Okay. Um... You're only 13, so you've probably um, – well, you've been alive, I think, for two bowl games, maybe three, actually, now that I think about it, probably 2010, 2014, and now uh, 2021 when the Miners went bowling last year. Give me your take on it first off because you were questioning it. Tell me why you're questioning the extension. Well, like, he's only been good for, like, one season, and, like, um, like we went, like, we only won like two games the first three years with him. Right, right. That's and, true. So there was some improvement. Like, so um, there was some improvement, right, Raul? There was. I mean, yeah. What, they, what they went six of their first seven, if I'm not mistaken. I think they were six and one right out of the gate. Let's put it this way, Raul. Here's the problem. Okay, let's say you don't extend him, and he has one year left on his contract because he signed his contract. Um, I think he signed a 
five-year deal, and he's just finished his fourth season, okay? So if you – let's just pretend you're Dana Dimmel. You take over a team that had won no games, right? So you win three games right. the first uh, few years, and then last year you win seven and you go bowling, and you have one year left on your contract, and uh, your, your boss tells you we're not going to give you an extension. How difficult do you think it is to try and win and bring players in if everybody around knows you just took the minors bowling for the third time in like the last 15 years and you still didn't get a contract extension for it? Well, um, I think if you only have like one year left, I think you want to like put in like some fire and ignite it so you could like keep spreading. Like you could like extend it. You could show that you're really worth of a contract. I'm with you, but at the same time, you know how hard it is to go out and recruit uh, players if everybody out there sees you as a sitting duck and probably says, well, why should I come here if you're on your last year? How do I know you're still going to be here? That's a tough part. That's a tough one. You know what I mean? It's tough to get yeah. players when you got one year left. Let's put it this way, okay? Had they given him a four- or five-year extension, I'd say the same thing as you. I'd be like, you know, that's a really, really big extension. But they gave him two years. So now he's got three years left instead of one year left. And the truth is is that a lot of us believe they're made to win this year. They're built for another big season. So if you win this year and you have no contract extension, now you're going to be looking at a four- or five-year deal instead of a two-year deal. So maybe giving a two-year extension in the long run turns out to actually be pretty smart because if you don't extend him and he wins two years in a row, now you're probably looking to give him four or five years instead of two. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, just a little. I don't know if I, if I know what I'm talking about, Raul. But understand that uh, winning at UTEP, especially in football, doesn't happen very often. So when you see improvement like what Dana Dimmel's built and what he's done, you want to essentially give him a sign of confidence that the program's behind him. And if you don't extend him, that pretty much tells you that you don't believe in what he's doing. So I get what you're saying, but I also you know see what the, you know, why they extended him. But uh, it was a good question. Do me a favor. Promise me you'll call back, and we'll talk more sports with you down the road, okay? Yes, sir. Appreciate it, Raul. Thanks, man. Bye. Hour one, sports talk in the books. We'll come back with plenty more. Stay with us. 600 ESPN El Paso. Part of hour number two here on Sports Talk, along with Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Coming your way, 600 ESPN El Paso. Adrian, we're going to do a little UTEP track and field right now. Excited about that. Me too, Steve. Long overdue. This track team has, has done some great things this year, and uh, they're continuing to uh, look to do more better things as, as the season winds down. That's right, because uh, UTEP was in Fayetteville, Arkansas this past weekend for the NCAA Division One Outdoor Track and Field West preliminaries. And now a couple of minors are going to be heading out uh, to Eugene and uh, Hayward Field, which uh, is also known as... Uh, track Town, Track Town USA. So pretty excited about that. In fact, we got a, a pair of Myers. We'll start first with uh, Javon Powell. He is with us right now. Javon, welcome aboard. Good to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm doing fine, sir. Thank you. Doing first great. off, uh, good to have you here. You look so you look so calm, so just cool, and I like that. I mean, I don't know what it is, but it seems like nothing phases you guys at all. I mean, you tell me. what You've been here now a couple of years at UTEP. What do you think the secret is for, for the success of this UTEP track team? I think it's uh, the altitude, you know. We have an advantage over everybody else. So, you know, when we go out there to compete, 
we are the ones to beat. That makes sense. Now, um, you came from uh, Kingston, Jamaica. Tell me a little bit about uh, Kingston growing up over there and uh, and what that was like for you. Does it have the same kind of altitude that we have here? No, but the climate is the same thing, but it's more humid in Jamaica. But I didn't grow up in Kingston. I grew up in Clarinda and then... I moved to Kingston for a year, so that's where everything started for me. Oh, is that where? So for you, the uh, just were you always a distance or a, a sprinter, or is that did you play other sports growing up as a kid too? No, I was always a hundred hundred meter guy. Then I moved up to the four, and then now I'm still at the four hundred meters. Yes, sir. And uh, for you, what do you enjoy more? Do you do you enjoy the the four hundred meters? Do you enjoy the the hundred meters? Uh, what do you what do you find is uh, I guess uh, the most enjoyable? Um, if I should pick an event, it's gonna be the hundred meters. But I have to go with what I'm good at, so that's the four hundred. Okay. Now you say you're not. Well, I'm sure you're still good at the hundred meters, right? Do, are you just are you the kind of sprinter that just gets faster and faster as you start to gain uh, more and more distance? Yes, sir. That, that's how I get to get up to speed. So that's why I prefer running the four hundred meters. I have more time to make my move. Yes, sir. Makes sense. No, I said Kingston, but it was Kingston College, right? Uh, that's the that was the high school out there in in Clarendon, Jamaica. Yes, sir. Um, when you were looking at colleges, was UTEP always a school that was pretty much on the top of your list? Not really, but I communicated with Coach Clark, so he reached out to me. He was the only one that was interested in me, so I just keep the loyalty and and, and, and came here. Well, that's good, and obviously it's paying off for you because now you get a chance to go to the uh, the NCAA, uh, you know, the Nationals out there in in Oregon. How much talent of young uh, runners and sprinters in Jamaica is there? When you look at just Jamaica in general, it seems like UTEP has done so well recruiting uh, and bringing some of the best uh, runners that have gone on to run in the Olympics for Jamaica. Uh, how much talent is there? Um, it's a lot, like all over Jamaica. Jamaica is not a big country, but like from the 14 parishes in Jamaica, like you could go everywhere and find athletes that is running. And they keep competitions for the smaller kids to to get to know their talent from there was smaller. So, yes, sir. Do they have running academies there? Is that what the, what they do at a very young age? Yes, sir. Like at the high schools, at the primary schools, basic schools, they keep... Sports day, that's what we call it. So it's a multiplayer of events that they have the kids running. So that's where we, we, we figure out the talents from. How old were you when you first started running, uh, at least competing uh, in, any, in, in any kind of uh, at any kind of level? How old were you? I was seven years old, and I made the Jamaica team when I was seven years old. Okay, wow. So wait a minute. Now, you seven years old, you make the, the Jamaican—they had, they had like a national team for seven-year-olds? Yes, sir. It was called the CUT. That was a Caribbean Games. So it keeps um, like every two years, and the first one I went to was in St. Kitts. And you're seven. Yes, sir. I mean, now, so you've been doing this since you were, I mean, you know, so young. Um, I can understand then why for you, this is just a walk in the park. There's no pressure because you've been doing this practically, you know, more than half your life. Um, yes, sir. So that's what I, I, I am more confident about my abilities now. So that's why I'm, I'm performing as oh, I'm performing right now. 
Javon Powell with us uh, here on Sports Talk. I'm so impressed by that. I, I really am. When I start to hear that you've been doing this at, at such a young age, um, did you play other sports as a kid besides uh, just besides sprinting and running? No, I used to do other sports for um, for Abby, like um, soccer, but we call it football in Jamaica. So, yeah. so I think only soccer and cricket. I'm not sure if you guys know about cricket. We do know about cricket. There's there's no baseball in Jamaica, right? It's just cricket and so and, and soccer or football. Do you have uh, is basketball popular in Jamaica? Yes, it is. We they got um, in the communities they got courts, basketball courts. So we go out on Sundays, Saturdays to play basketball. Okay. Yes, sir. Uh, what about boxing? No. Okay. I'm just trying to think of other sports. So, so would you say that football, meaning soccer? Um, track and field, obviously, um, basketball, and then cricket. Are those probably the four most popular sports in Jamaica? Yes, those are the most um, four popular sports in Jamaica. Okay. And can you explain to my listeners how competitive, um, whether it's distance running, sprinting, just the quality of athletes at all ages in, in, in Jamaica, what it's like? Well, it is extremely hard to, like compete at a younger level because that's where everybody start running fast when you're small and then to the junior to the senior is the same competitiveness right true it doesn't stop i'm sure um and does uh, for you are you competing just against other uh, runners from your home country or are you going up against people from uh other countries for that matter Oh, yeah, in Jamaica. So in the high schools, we have other students from, like, Grenada, Senkids, um, all over the Caribbean come to Jamaica to go to high school. So at the big championship, everybody get together and compete. How'd you do in those big championships? Well, at Champs, when I was, like, 17, 17 years old, that's when I they discovered my talent. I won the 400 and came second in the 200 meters. Now, when you did that at the age of 17, did more offers start to come in at, at that point? And people realize, wow, you know, Javon's got a chance to be pretty special. Then did you start hearing from more colleges at that point? Yes, sir. So that's where I, I used to go to Edwin Allen first. That's where I moved on to Kingston to transfer to go to a next school. So that's where everything started. Makes a lot of sense. Now, you come to El Paso, what, last year for the first time as a freshman? Um, what was it like for you? You know, I always wonder what when you come to the states from Jamaica and you end up here of all places. What uh, what was it like at least at first? Well, I used to travel away from my parents when I was smaller, so I I I used to it. So that it wasn't a pressure on me. It wasn't any pressure on me to come here and stay by myself. And other kids was here from Jamaica, so we mm-hmm. had a close relationship before I even came here. How old were you when you first moved, uh, or at least uh, started traveling uh, away from your family? When I was seven years old. My goodness, seriously? Yes, sir. Okay, so this is for you. This is again what you've been doing most of your life. That's that's pretty. It's pretty remarkable. Um, now, Javon, tell me about the competition you're going to see in Eugene because when you're in Fayetteville, you play second in the uh, in the 400. So you're going to be going in as uh, I'm sure uh, one of the favorites. What's that going to be like for you since you're making a return trip to uh, Oregon compared to what it was like for you a year ago last year? Well, I'm more confident this year, so I have to go in next week and just execute as I was doing all this season. And 
it's, the competition will be tough, but I'm just going there to place in the top three and try to make UTEP proud and everybody else. Now, you also run indoor as well, so you run indoor and outdoor. Do you prefer outdoor to indoor, or what What would you say is uh, is easier for you? Well, outdoor is much more easier. Indoors is not my thing because in Jamaica, we don't do indoors, so I think that's a big thing. Um, indoors, you got to be running indoors over a period of time to get used to it and to love it, but I don't think it's my, my thing. I like outdoors more. What's the biggest change from indoor sprinting versus outdoors? I think the the corners and the banks in the indoor, um, it slows you down um, a lot. So I think running on the stretch outdoors, I think it's much more easier. And you put out indoors, you got to put out at like 200%. Outdoors is more like 100% run. Javon Powell with us here on Sports Talk as we continue now. Um, if you want to finish top three, you said that already. Um, you're just a sophomore, so you've got plenty of time. But for you, what's more important, um, winning a, a national championship, representing Jamaica in the Olympics and possibly winning gold, or eventually going professional? Have you started thinking about maybe what your goals are down the road and what you'd like to uh, check off the list as you continue uh, your career here at UTEP? Yes, sir. That's the thing. I, I only take it step by step. I don't t- try to think ahead. I know what I want, but I don't try to think ahead. So I try to accomplish each goal every week, and then I just add to everything uh, based on the results. Now that you've been living in El Paso a couple of years, have you had a chance to uh, enjoy some of the uh, local restaurants, or do you stick to a pretty strict diet? Yeah, uh, recently I started to, to stick to a, a, a strict diet. Uh, is it tough to do that at first? And no, it wasn't. It wasn't tough. I, I I was so lazy. Now I'm not lazy no more. So that's why everything changed. It's easy to be lazy when you're in college, isn't it? I mean, you're on your own. You don't have anybody watching over you. You can do whatever you want. So that's got to be. That's got to be probably the toughest thing is to to you know lose the laziness. Yes, sir. What's your uh, What's your favorite meal? What do you like best? Um, probably rice and peas and fried chicken. You know, brown stew chicken, oxtail. Oh, you like oxtail too? Yes, I've never had oxtail. How do you describe oxtail? What's it like? Uh, I don't think it's compared to nothing else. It's it's just amazing. Okay, fair yes. enough. Uh, when we come back, we're going to meet uh, one of your teammates, uh, Ari. She's here. How would you describe her before we get to meet her? What would you say about her? She's quiet. She's quiet. Yes, and she's a she's a nice person. She quieter than you? Yes, sir. Really. Right. Well, we'll see what we can do. We'll see what we can do talking to Ari then. All right. Nice job, Javon. Hey, good luck in uh, Oregon uh, coming up uh, next weekend. And uh, we appreciate you being here, and uh, thanks so much for the time. Thank you, sir. You got it. He's uh, Javon Powell, folks, from the UTEP track and field team. Ari's next. We'll meet her as we continue. First, let's go to Charlie One and get this traffic update. Continue. My thanks to uh, Javon Powell for uh, his time uh, just a little while ago. We've got Ari here with us right now. Ari Mareas, uh, she is with UTEP. Uh, on the track and field team. Also, Ari is going to be going to Eugene and the NCAA championships uh, next weekend. First off, Ari, thanks for being here. We appreciate that. How are you today? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Now, 
Ari, I'm looking at your bio, and you come from Norway, Oslo, Norway. And we were talking during the break uh, because I have family on my, my wife's side from, from Copenhagen, from Denmark. So I, I've been out to Scandinavia. I know the country. It is absolutely gorgeous. And it is so different over there than over here, isn't it? Yes, it is. A lot colder. <laughs> and, um, yeah, just the people are different and just the culture is different there than compared to here. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, but the nice thing is, first off, you speak great English. And that's important to note that they, they teach English over there. So yes. pretty much as everybody grows up, uh, English is, is almost like a second or third language for people. Yeah, they teach you English from, I think, like second or third grade. So, yeah. It's been um, a lot of what I've learned has been from like watching movies or like YouTube as well. But they're definitely it's a good system well, that they have over there. Yeah. You speak beautiful English. How many Thank languages you. do you speak altogether? Fluently. Yes. Uh, three. Okay, and they yeah. are English. English, Norwegian, and Creole. But it's the Portuguese Creole because because my parents are from West Africa in a mm -hmm. country that's called Cape Verde, and there they speak Creole over there. So, yeah. Now, do you speak a couple of other languages, maybe not as well as you do these three? I'm familiar with Portuguese and a little bit of Spanish too. Okay, yeah. so you've got a, you got a lot of languages to your background, which I think is is, is really really cool. So you come to um, El Paso from the University of Florida. And you had a chance to spend, what, the last three seasons at, uh, at Florida, right, in Gainesville. Yes, sir. Um, right out of high school, I went to the United States, and I decided to go for Florida. And then, you know, just being there and spending my time there, I really liked the culture and everything. Mm -hmm. um, my coach, unfortunately, he retired. So that is how I got into UTEP. Um, because my coach that retired knew the coach here. And for me, one of the most important things is to go to a coach that I can trust. So coming here felt like the best decision because I trust Coach Mika. I love that. First off, I love Coach Mika. We all do. And um, love the relationship and how all the different coaches will keep uh, – it's almost like a family of coaches, you know that? And yeah. um, it sounds to me like uh, your coach of Florida was, was pretty special, wasn't he? Yes. He uh, was a coach for such a long time. He coached some great athletes, um, great person. And, yeah, I'm just very thankful for everything that he helped me through. Did you have a lot of schools looking at you when you were looking to come stateside here to the U.S. Uh, from Norway? So I was kind of late to the process, so I didn't have much time. Um, that's why I reached out to my coach in Norway, who knew Coach Lemke at Florida. So that's how I kind of sped up the process right away. Yeah. Now, tell me what it was like growing up in Oslo, um, because I've had a lot of athletes on here. In fact, Javon was from um, Jamaica, and I've had a lot of Jamaican athletes on, and I've had some from other parts of Europe. But tell me about Norway specifically for you, because uh, you throw the javelin, and was um, sports and athletic competition something you started ever since you were a little kid? Yes, sir, for sure. I started uh, doing track at the age of six. And then I also played handball. I started that at the age of seven. Um, I didn't really touch the javelin until I was like 14, 15. Um, but sports has always been a big part of my life. Um, in fact, I was at a 
point where I didn't know which sport to go with because I wanted to go play handball, but at the same time I also wanted to go with track. So um, coming to college and, and, and having that opportunity was definitely a major part of taking that decision. Ari, um, track and handball are so different because, uh, first off, you, you know, you throw the javelin, you need, uh, you got to have a, a, a lot of strength and athletic ability, obviously, to throw up. But handball, for people that don't, I've never seen European handball, it's almost like soccer meets basketball is the best way to describe it. I love it when you get to watch it during the Olympics. It's huge in Europe, especially in Scandinavia. And uh, I can imagine for you how much fun that's going to be because it's a very physical, physical sport. Yeah, definitely very physical. It's also so different because it's a team sport versus track that's an individual sport. Um, I love being with a team and and thankfully um, with coming to college at least you have a team out there athletes to be around as, as versus like when you go pro and track it's like it's kind of different yeah. so um but yeah it's two very different sports but i definitely loved both of them was it a tough decision did you have a chance to perhaps pursue playing for the um the you know norway's national team in uh, in handball yeah, so I was on the junior national team, so it was a, a very tough decision. Um, I, I think I could have gone either way, but like I said, like uh, an opportunity to come to the United States and, and just pursue your dreams was something I didn't want to want to lose so well i understand yeah. and uh, when you come to the university of, of uh, florida you get here before covid you redshirt your first year then covid hits puts everything on hold and then finally you get a chance to to resume things last season and your coach retires so what a crazy three years that's going to be for you and by the way last year you had a really really good year uh throwing the javelin to the point where you had qualified uh, for the ncaa championships uh last year in oregon Yes, um, I did qualify. Um, unfortunately, I was struggling with injury, so I had to withdraw from the competition in Oregon. Um, but it was definitely an experience that I took with me and that I will carry on going into this championship and going into Oregon this time. By the way, uh, injuries uh, are difficult uh, in general, um, and that's what was fun when we talked about, you know, are you 100% healthy right now? You said... No, no. no, and and yet, is it crazy to think that here you are qualifying again for NCAA the championships, and you're still not truly a hundred percent? Yes, so it's it's been tough um, dealing. I've had two surgeries on my elbow, so it's trying to bounce back from that and 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 get a hundred percent healthy has been a struggle, but I'm definitely working towards it and doing my best so that I can be as healthy as possible. How do you describe what throwing the javelin is like when you when you talk about the approach, the form, the technique, and really how to get the most out of it? Javelin is very technical. Um, there's a lot of aspects that goes into how far you throw in terms of how you hold the javelin, in terms of what you do with your arm, with your legs, and timing is very important. So there's a lot of technical things, but it's also very tough on your body. Um, you're basically running down the runway as fast as you can, and you're just stopping right at the by the line. So it's just like a lot of power that hits your body. 
And as far as training goes, is there a lot of weight training for you when you really start to, to break things down? Yes, a lot of weight training, a lot of speed work, and just being explosive and, yeah, just being an all-around good athlete is, is important. Ari, tell me what El Paso's been like for you now. It's your first year here after uh, three years in Gainesville, Florida. A bit of a different uh, weather uh, than you're used to. And what about the the stu- you know, the athletes, the student body, the campus, and everything else you've had a chance to see here? Definitely um, less humid. Um, but I do like the heat, so that's a plus. I like to train in the heat. Um, the culture, the people, the, my teammates, um, it's been very nice to get to know people and and just getting good advice from different coaches. And Coach Mick has been really good. And the people are very welcoming here in El Paso. Um, the food is good. I like Mexican food. So oh, that's a good yeah, sign. Yeah. Can we ever? Can you ever help bring European handball to El Paso? Do you think you'd like <laughs> to uh, maybe start a uh, handball program around here and we could start getting more and more people playing it? I wish. I really, really wish. Uh, I really love the sport of handball, so it would be nice to to do something like that. All right, I'll help you take you up on that. Yeah. Right? We'll see if we can try to do it. Maybe we can organize and, yeah. and, and get some good uh, some good European handball in El Paso. I think that'd be fun. All right. Last question, and that is uh, for you. What's the ultimate goal? Is it uh, going pro? Is it going back to Oslo and, and uh, eventually pursuing things there? What would you like to do? A long-term goal is to go pro. Um, just want to keep working and, and do as well as I can while hearing at UTEP and in, in college, so we'll see how it goes. Olympics also something you'd like to eventually do? Definitely a big dream of mine, yeah. All right. Ari, you've been great. Thanks for being here. Best of luck next week, and make sure you come back and see us again so we can talk about how things are going with you, okay? All right. Thank you for having me. All right. You got it. Yeah. Ari uh, Morais, uh, folks, with us here on uh, Sports Talk. Uh, our thanks again to Ari and for Javon uh, giving us the lowdown from UTEP track. We're back in two minutes, but first, let's go to get this Sports Center update. All right, Adrian, thank you very much. Another huge award for Ivan Melendez today. The Hispanic Titanic named the National Collegiate Baseball Player of the Year. Big, big honor for uh, a guy that is still in the running in all the Triple Crown categories right now as uh, Texas battles it out in the NCAA Regionals. And um, all I can say is it has been a dream season for the former Coronado High star. I mean, you think about what he's been able to accomplish. Adrian, I'm so interested to see how it translates to the MLB draft. You know, most people are going to say, wait a minute, slow down. How about getting back to the College World Series and trying to win it? They were in the Final Four last year, if you remember correctly, and they lost by a run to Mississippi State, who ends up winning it after beating Vanderbilt in that best of three. So now you wonder a lot of things. Will teams pitch to Ivan? If they don't, and he doesn't see a steady uh, you know, array of pitches, how, when you get up there, do you make the most of your, of your opportunities and make contact? He's got 29 home runs right now. He's tied for the lead in the nation. He's like tied for fourth in, in batting average and tied for fourth in RBIs. I mean, he's got a legit shot at the Triple Crown if he can connect, but that's assuming teams will not pitch around him. And that's going to be the most difficult part when you're dealing with a guy that has been just uh, devastating pitchers all season long in Austin. 
Look at how decorated he has become, just as in a historical sense, in the Texas baseball, among some of the Texas baseball greats to ever play uh, with the Longhorns. I mean, he, like you said, leads the nation in home runs. He leads the country in slugging percentage and total bases. He is uh, the program record holder for most home runs in a single season. So uh, what he has been, what he has did this year has been remarkable, Steve, and nothing could ever you know nothing could take that away from him now I'm with you on that though because if you're going up against the best uh, opponents out there right now teams aren't pitching to him that's tougher not just not just Melendez who's trying to continue to improve his draft stock but also Texas as they try to you know continue their quest to try to win a college baseball world series but they're loaded they have a deep deep team that's the key all right so it's they're not a one-man show They have good pitching. They've got plenty of bats. They've been there before. They went all the way last year to the Final Four. They want to win it all this year. So Texas has a legit shot, whether they pitch around Melendez or not. I mean, they've got guys that can do damage. And that's the crazy thing. If you pitch around them, other guys are going to beat you. So it's almost like you have to be really careful and you have to pick your poison. Maybe you don't necessarily walk him. You pitch carefully to him. And that way, you know, but Melendez will make you pay for any mistake that you throw him. He's been doing that all year. He's batting over 400, which, again, is crazy to think about for college. That means he's getting hits in four out of every 10 at-bats. That's phenomenal numbers. And yet... I was looking at Baseball America's latest rankings, which came out about the end of April. So it's a little more than a month old. And they've got Melendez right now, 185. And that seems so, so low in terms of where he should be ranked. He should be ranked closer to the top, you know, top 50, top 60. There's a lot of MLB amateur draft um, um mocks that are coming out right now and they've all got Melendez pegged somewhere between the third and the fifth round at least at this point he's not a first rounder but you watch what he's done this year he's played first base he's played it almost flawlessly one error the entire season so he's been spectacular at first which is a position that you know he told us he likes third the best that's his that's his favorite position is third base but he's okay with first because the truth is the year a year ago he was almost an exclusive dh and that was the knock against melendez he couldn't hit but is he only a dh bat so this year he's tried to show that no I can play first, play first well enough that you don't have to look at me as a DH-only kind of player. You can look at me as a first baseman. Even though he prefers third, Texas didn't put him at third this year. They kept him at first. But I still think, Adrian, that the ranking is way off. I see Melendez as somebody that might even be able to creep into the second round when it's all said and done. Because if you are looking for a power hitter, a middle-of-the-lineup stick, you're not going to find any better out there than you will number 17. I'm with you on that completely. I also just want to note, just to piggyback off this conversation, last year you look at him and Ivan Melendez when he was drafted by Miami in the 16th round. He made the decision to bet on himself, come back to Texas, prove 
prove everybody wrong, like you just said, hey, he's limited to only DH. No, well, if you're Ivan Melendez, you could play in the infield. You could play third base. You could be versatile and play also first base. So that that's what he proved this year. He proved that he is an elite prospect. Uh, he should be taken seriously. If he's taken as late as the fifth round, he has nothing to be ashamed of, though, because he definitely, definitely boosted his draft stock by a long shot. Yeah, fifth round also means he's uh, about a, a top 130 to 150 prospect, depending on where he goes. So, uh, you know, that's something. Now, if he's a third rounder, it's a top 100 player. Sure. So, and that could very well be where he ends up. Look, there's a lot of guys that are drafted over slot value. And what that means is, well, you know, you pick them high because you want to make sure you can sign them and, and, and take care of it. And some guys slide farther down. I don't see Melendez sliding this year. There's too many teams that know what he can do with his bat and realize that, hey, you really would like to have a big, strong, middle-of-the-order first baseman that can hit home runs. And that's exactly what you're going to get with this guy. And not only that, he's a cold hero in Austin. The season he's had in Texas is one of the, is the greatest power-hitting season ever. Nobody's done what he's done before. Now, ironically, Omar Quintanilla played at Texas 20 years ago, won a national championship, was drafted in the first round, supplemental pick by the Oakland A's that year, and ended up coming up through the big leagues, uh, first with Oakland, then with Colorado. Now, why was Quintanilla a first-rounder? He was a shortstop, an athletic one who played at Socorro and then ended up doing really well at Texas and had a chance to have a big league career before he came back to El Paso, and now he's living here in El Paso. But the truth is... You know what? Shortstops, middle infielders with, uh, with really good uh, hit tools, those are valuable. Look at what Nick Gonzalez did when he was drafted uh, by the Pirates a few years ago out of New Mexico State. It's much tougher when you're a big, strong first baseman who is labeled a first baseman or a DH as opposed to a middle infielder with tons of potential. Yeah, it's all about value and it's like this in every sport and we're seeing it right now right in front of us in baseball. The value is not as high for somebody who's maybe a first baseman, third baseman, DH like Ivan Melendez versus somebody else. Even pitchers. You know, pitchers are so overvalued when it comes to the draft and things like this. So, you know, it's just interesting to kind of compare those but I I still think that Ivan Melendez can continue to boost his draft stock as this uh, college baseball World Series continues. And who knows, maybe he does creep into a second-round draft pick. Maybe so. Maybe that would help, right? Turn on the right microphone. I was going to say, what good? happened? Jeez, you're not kidding. All right, throw a movie review ask Adrian. What do we have to talk about? Okay, thanks to Alamo Drafthouse. They sponsor this movie review every day. You can get your season pass online at drafthouse.com to watch unlimited movies at Alamo Drafthouse. I'll burn through this one. The Program, 1993. You could watch it on Hulu. Steve, I really like this movie. Uh, I've watched some clunkers when it comes to sports movies. Uh, I'm going to sum up the plot real quickly. The college football team 
team is under pressure on left and right. You got a Heisman guy who's who's like he's he's up for a Heisman Trophy winner. The coach, he is going to be fired if they don't win this year. And then you got a guy who weighs 300 pounds and he's doing steroids on the side and not getting caught by the NCAA in Latimer. Uh, Halle Berry's in this film. Some good, uh, some some really interesting names uh, like James Kahn and also Omar Epps, Craig Sheffer, and Christy Swanson. This was made back in the 90s. Steve, um, one of the quick facts that I found in this film is most of the film was actually uh, filmed in Duke you know, at you. Uh, on the campus of Duke University, mm-hmm. um, and all of this uh, actually at the time it didn't get a good reception, and it still doesn't have a good, um, I guess, I guess like uh, references all over all over the place. Rotten Tomatoes forty three percent, IMDb six point four out of ten. Steve, I'm a t- I'm an eight out of ten. Wow, I thought this was pretty solid. I liked how it kind of went in crazy directions. It had a lot of controversy, even though it ended in on a lighter note. I felt like uh, this was a really good film. I'm in on this one. That's one of the most generous reviews of the program. I've ever heard in the history of not just this show, but anybody that's ever seen the movie, you feel like it's held up through the test of time over the last 30 years, huh? Actually, uh, as far as like holding up, Steve, the acting on field wasn't that great, but I liked all the dramatic storylines, like the backstories behind these players. I felt like it was very relatable to today's college football landscape. Fascinating. Eight out of 10 bananas from Adrian for the program. All right, there we go. Hey, when we come back, final hour of Sports Talk is next. Stay with us. Howard Margulies is going to join us from Signs and N. Hags right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. This man joined us last October. It's hard to believe that it's already been eight, nine months uh, since uh, Howard Margulies, the CEO of Signed, has been with us. But uh, we wanted to bring him back because we had such a good conversation the first time. We said, let's keep in touch and see how things have grown. So Howard joins us uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue. Welcome back to the program. Good to see you. How you doing? Uh, great to see you, Steve. Thank you so much. It's been uh I can't believe it's only been seven or eight months either. It seems like a year, a year plus, and the progress we've made has been so exciting. And thanks for reaching out again. It's great great to be back with you. I was so happy we brought you on the first time because I thought this was such an innovative way for people in the memorabilia business of being able to connect with the current and former athletes because the whole concept behind Signed is to not only get uh, the, the signature, the autographed item, but then to get a personalized video as your letter of authenticity. And Howard, I mean, you were the first to bring that on board. And at the time, I think Signed had just launched a not that that long uh, before and you'd had uh, a little more than a hundred uh, former athletes on board. How have things grown and changed since we last spoke to you? Uh, Steve, we soft launched right about the week we spoke actually. I think we spoke right at, at the end of middle of uh, about November 19th. And I think we launched the end of November with uh, just about 110 or 120 icons. Today we enrolled our 719th icon and i will tell you that we are in 20 verticals so we are in it really heavy in football and basketball and so proud of the way we started but we're in baseball and hockey and the national cheerleading association and athletes unlimited which is an all women's league um and, and so many actors and actresses and musicians and we've just expanded into so many verticals and diverse and diversified so much it's been it's been really um it, it's been really a blessing 
I wonder, was it just word of mouth more than anything else, or a lot of the icons were talking to their colleagues and friends? How have you seen things explode uh, so much in less than a year? You know, it's funny, Steve, because it was me, me making every phone call first, and now we get an average of one to three to four calls a day or inquiries a day through our website. We've partnered with the NFL alumni, the Major League Baseball alumni, and NBRPA, which is basketball's alumni, and football alumni, um, the Cheerleaders Alumni Association. And they've been so supportive of us giving opportunities to retired icons who don't always get in front of their fans. And they've been so supportive. And that's really helped us springboard. And then we've worked through a lot of agents and agencies to get into the music world, the actors and actresses. Um, and again, one person tells one person. And one of the things that really has changed in the last three months is we probably have 40 active icons, meaning currently playing Major League Baseball, hockey, football or basketball. We have a couple of professional basketball coaches on our site, active coaches, plenty of announcers. So the diversification has just been amazing. And it has been word of mouth, not when they join, Steve, when they wind up delivering an experience to a fan. I hear this. I was talking to Cheryl Swoops the other day, and she told me she had so much fun recording this video and signing this ball. said, I I have to get involved. How do I get involved? And it's been a lot of that, which has been so fun. And not only that, for those that have taken advantage uh, of of what you offer, the services with all the icons, whether it's sports, entertainment, or, or other fields, uh, that's also what it's about, right? Not only when you receive the package in the mail, but then you get to see them uh, face-to-face on the video, and ultimately that personalization, uh, which uh, in, in today's world of – Everything you want, everything simultaneous, especially audio and video, how that's become such a big part of the business as well. Yeah, it's been amazing. So I've been blessed to have so many connections. But, you know, being 55 years old, I grew up watching the Munsters and I, I was fortunate enough to actually have Butch Patrick send one to me. And um, it, the video, I won't play the video on your show, but the the, the, the audio and the video is He's just thanking me for being a fan. And it just brought me back to to my childhood and being the founder of the company. I I was really moved by getting this from him. And it, it, it's not just the video of authenticity. It's the connectivity because they're talking about you. He talked about my kids, talked about my wife, because that's the message they told, you know, they sent to him. And it's not just a quick autograph, a handshake and a, and a photograph, you know, because you get that when you go to a signing. But this is, you know, they took the time out of their day to think about you and only you at that very moment. Is that what happens with just about every icon that you get a chance to work with through this company, that that personalization for people that just makes such a difference when they uh, get a chance to connect with them? We we don't do it any other way. Every single order is uh, on demand. Uh, We don't have any stocked items with an autograph or a video. Every single one of them is made directly for the person ordering it. And we've been blessed. I saw an 81-year-old gentleman uh, with the last name Hanratty, and he ordered a, his family ordered a ball from Terry Hanratty, who played for Notre Dame and played for the Steelers, won a couple of Super Bowls. And he he used to call him his long-lost brother through the TV. And Terry Hanratty called him his long-lost brother. And this 81 or 82-year-old man for his birthday, he he could he was speechless. He, he he just looked at his kids. He couldn't even talk. His eyes welled up. And when you see that emotion 
coming from a grown man or a woman, it doesn't matter, and just bringing them back to a moment in their life that's so special, that's really what we set out to do. And, and it, it's working. Howard Margulies is CEO of uh, Signed. Uh, you can check them out online. It's S-I-G-N-D.com. So it's very important to mention S-I-G-N-D.com was signed. Howard, take me back. Um, prior to when you launched, uh, near the end of last year, how long had this concept been in your mind and percolating? And what made you decide to try and take the uh, memorabilia industry to, uh, to really a, a different level? Yeah, so it was about October 20, and I was just talking to a couple of my icon friends about opportunities, and, you know, some of them more popular than others, and some don't get the opportunity. And then you know, all of a sudden, I watched the success of, excuse me, of Cameo. And Cameo, all of a sudden, I mean, they've been in business in 16, but through the, the pandemic and early parts of the pandemic, they just shot off. And the video delivery service industry took off. And I said, I really like that, but I'm somebody who likes to touch something and hold something and have it. And then NFTs started kicking off and everyone was talking about NFTs. <clears throat> but again, just a video, a picture of a frog that you can never touch, see or hold to me. It, and then memorabilia, of course, that may or may not be fraudulent or may or not be authentic. The three of those things combine and, and you really get signed because you're getting a personal video message authenticated video signing um, and you're getting memorabilia with it that lasts forever. And I just thought that that in and in amongst itself was priceless to be able to have something to hold that lasts forever. And it's, again, we've delivered so many of these uh, uh, experiences. The unboxing too is amazing. I'm not sure Steve, if you saw on our boxes, but the way they open up from the top, people have said it's like a Tiffany box. And then the, this ball pops out and it, it's really um, it. We spent a lot of time making it right, not only for the fan, but for the icon. We take a lot of pride in how easy we made it for the icon. And that's why they all like it. Active players don't have the time to, to spend a lot of time doing this. They do it from their home when they're ready to do it. Wow. Now, do the icons sign the items, send it over to you, and then you send it off to the individual? Or do they send it directly to the individual? Yeah, I don't ever want to see an item signed unless I'm watching the unboxing video and the celebration. Um, I have a warehouse of empty items with QR codes that we print on them. We send that item to the uh, icon along with a Sharpie to sign the item. They sign and do the video and that item goes directly from the icon to the consumer. I never see that the signed item again. I love it. Um, and when you look at so far the most popular icons you've had since launch, Howard, who have been some of those individuals that uh, have signed a ton for you because they're in such demand right now? You know, it, it really is funny because it goes in spurts. So Ryan Deacon, a college wrestler, national champion, he won the national championship and orders were just flooding. And we were so happy and proud of Ryan. Uh, it was really amazing to watch him. And he's going to go to the Olympics. Fingers crossed we watch him win win a gold in the Olympics. Um, we had when the Rangers started kicking up, Stefan Mateau and some of the other Rangers, of course, when that activity happens, it kicked up activity. Um, we've had a couple of our, um, you know, our, our musicians, our artists like Waka Flocka has been busy. Um, you know, he, he's, he's a popular musician. Um, and then we've had some, some, some surprises with some of the younger college folks. 
and then it depends on what what's going on in 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 the in the you know Vinny Trochik. He's a Carolina Hurricane. He made a post on Instagram share, saying that we're going to be donating money to the um, University of North Carolina Children's Hospital. And Vinny got over 25 orders in, in less than a week. Wow. And and to me, to be able to give back, that's the other pillar of what we do. You know, we're on a mission to give back as much as we can and provide opportunities for those that don't have. So uh, together with the icons, it's been it's been great. So I wish I could say it's been one sport or one vertical or one very specific, you know, Cheryl Soups has been busy. Uh, Chris, you'd imagine Chris Mullen has been busy. Um, you know, it really depends, but um, we've had a nice steady flow of, uh, of traffic through our site and we really haven't marketed yet. I know you just mentioned our site. Um, if your fans want to join and come on our site, they just have to type in the word Cappy, K-A-P-P-Y, and they'll receive a 20% discount. Hey, thank you for throwing them a bone. I appreciate that. That's very nice. All right. As simple, as simple as that, folks. That's all you got to do. And by the way, Tim Hardaway is one of the icons that's uh, teamed up uh, here with Howard and signed. So, so think about this for a minute. Think about you getting a box in the mail. You open this box, 12 by 12, it pops a basketball pops, and it says Steve, Tim Hardaway. And then you hold your phone and it's a message. Hey, thanks for being such a great sports fan and supporting all of the, the, the sports here in Texas. And by the way, I'm signing this for you online on this video. So the end of the video and, and all of that, Steve, $115. Tell you, you, well, you priced it right. And that's the most important thing with a lot of your athletes, including Tim and everybody else. Final question for you, Howard. Um, I was going to ask you, how do you see this thing growing between now and the next time we talk? You've already gone from a, a, over just over 100 to over 700 people and 700 icon, icons. How does this continue to grow in your mind over the next uh, next few years? Well, I'm really, I'm really, really proud to say that we partnered with, um, I'll just say the GOAT in NASCAR. I won't say anything further because it's not public yet, but um, we, we partnered to break into NASCAR and we started at the top and we know that that tremendous fans there, we just broke into wrestling as well. And now we're just focused on increasing our verticals. And Steve, if I have just a second, I'll share with this audience that just literally is coming out now. Um, we'll have it on our site in the next couple of days, but most of our kids played sports. If not, we have nieces or nephews or friends, kids played sports and everybody coaches always get a gift at the end of the year. What we're providing is an opportunity to buy, we'll call it a soccer ball, basketball, football, baseball. You buy that football, the team parent goes online, they buy it. It automatically sends an email to all the players. The little kids download a video to the coach. Hey, Coach Steve, thanks for teaching me how to kick a football or to run a route. And at the end of the year, that coach gets a football with 15 autographs on it and a video from every one of those kids on his team. Love it. So youth sports could be a great way locally to connect as well. Love that idea. Very nice. Howard, great to catch up with you. Continued success with Signed, and we look forward to the next time we get to chat with you back here on the show. Absolutely. Hopefully sooner than later, Steve. Thanks so much. And, uh, and again, Cappy, uh, get uh, your audience 20% off. Awesome. He's Howard Margulies, folks. He joins us, CEO of Signed, as we continue. That's S-I-G-N-D.com. We'll come back, wrap things up next with Tim Haggerty and Chihuahuas Baseball, 600 ESPN El Paso.
Final countdown as we continue and wind things down on Sports Talk. Say hello to Tim Haggerty. He joins us live from the ballpark right now. Hags, big day for Nomar Mazzara. And uh, a guy that uh, reached base in every game he played for the Chihuahuas finds himself back in the big leagues with San Diego. Yeah, since the beginning of the season, he's been the best hitter for the Chihuahuas. As you indicated, he reached base every time. He's the league leader in both batting average and on base percentage. Uh, Jared Sandberg, the Chihuahuas manager, mentioning that Nomar made some changes to his swing. So even though last year he struggled in the major leagues with the Detroit Tigers, I wouldn't be surprised to see Mazzara go up there and become somebody that comes off the bench for the Padres, that plays as a left-handed hitter in platoon scenarios. I uh, wouldn't be surprised to see him become somebody who gets a lot of at-bats for San Diego, a team that is playing well this year, but they're struggling hitting. Uh, in about half of their games, the Padres have scored four or fewer runs. Uh, and no matter how good the starting rotation is, you're not going to be sweeping series when you don't score many runs. So I think any offensive help, uh, they'll take it, and I think that's why they picked Mazzara. They need a DH. They thought they were getting that with um, Robinson Cano, but they ended up releasing him uh, today to make room uh, for Mazzara. So that just goes to show you, uh, you know, how much they've struggled uh, with the DH spot this season. Exactly, and I know uh, the word on Bob Melvin and some quotes that Melvin has said in the past, the Padres manager, is that he is a fan of platoon situations, so maybe Luke Voigt uh, is your right-handed DH sometimes, and Mazzara sometimes is your left-handed DH. Mazzara can play a solid right field. Maybe he plays some right um, and mixes in with some right-handed hitting outfielders like Will Myers and Jose Azokar. Um and, yeah, but with the designated hitter being added to the National League this year, this is a perfect time for Mazzara to get up there and get some at-bats. Not to mention he would probably end up being the strong side of the platoon, Hags, if, since he's a lefty because you, you'd usually see more right. right-handed uh, pitchers than you do lefties anyway. Exactly. Yeah, there's more right-handed pitchers than lefties for sure. And, um, you know, the Padres are coming off a very tough series in St. Louis. They lost all three games. Prior to that, they were really thriving. They had a great road trip that went through Philadelphia and Atlanta on that trip, but uh, came home and won the series against Pittsburgh, but then lost three in a row against a talented Cardinals team. And it doesn't get any easier tonight. San Diego is in Milwaukee against the best team in the NL Central. So uh, let's hope they can turn things around. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely. Hey, meanwhile, um, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, he's going he's to be a bat that's going to be hard to replace. You know that? Yeah, with the Chihuahuas, undoubtedly, that's, uh, that's a loss. Um, we've seen this over the years, though. This is just someone else's time to step in and, and grab a hold of those at-bats. Uh, I look at somebody like Luis Liberato, who had a great season with the AAA Tacoma last year, but struggled to begin this season with El Paso. But with a couple of players sidelined and Amazar in the majors, I think Liberato becomes someone that might be playing close to every day. Can he step in? And, and produce better than he has. He hit a grand slam earlier in this series. That's an encouraging sign. Um, you know, the Chihuahuas have split the first two games with Mazzara out of the lineup in both of those two. We'll see what they can do, but you're right. He is a tough bat to replace. But there's also some outfielders like Taylor Colway, who the Chihuahuas hope to have back soon. He was having a great season. Maybe he can hop in and, and reach base the way Mazzara was. Yeah, it's, anybody in double-A that you could see to get the call and maybe get a chance to get promoted up? Yeah, I think somebody who was starting to really hit well with the Chihuahuas, uh, Thomas Malone, who was then sent back to double-A. Malone last night had a walk-off hit for double-A San Antonio and has been performing well there. I wouldn't be surprised at some point if he makes his way back to El Paso, uh, among some others there. San Antonio's playing well on both the pitching side and hitting side. So 
Yeah, we are past the one-third mark of the season. Tonight's game number 51 for the Chihuahuas out of 150. And they have a strong record, 27-23, and 23, three games out of first place. So in the big picture, they are a contender. It should be fun. Should be a lot of fun. Hey, by the way, um, I like looking at former uh, Chihuahua players and former Padres and see how they're doing. Tucapita Marcano has had an yeah. amazing series against the Dodgers since he is now up uh, from A and still just 22 years of age playing for the Pirates. Exactly, yeah. Tucapita was scheduled to lead off a game right on the day of the trade deadline last season in El Paso. He got traded uh, right there before the game at Southwest University Park, went on to the Pirates, and I wondered if maybe he was slipping uh, on their depth chart when I saw it to begin the season. He was at Double A Altoona, but it turns out they were doing that because Altoona is only around an hour from Pittsburgh. They mm. wanted him to be geographically close as opposed to Triple A Indianapolis, so Makes it actually sense. was a, a strength for him, and you're right. He hit his first two major league home runs at Dodger Stadium and a Pirates unexpected sweep over the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium against the best team in the National League. Um, and, you know, you bring up a good point with the age. Sometimes when guys get to AAA and the majors so young, we sort of, um, I don't know, might give up on their stock. I was thinking about that with Nomar Mazzara. Nomar Mazzara had a birthday last month. He turned 27. I mean, off the top of my head, if you asked me that this winter... I would have guessed Mazzara was 29 or 30, based on how much Major League time he had. Um, so a good point on Tukapita. You know, he's the, the analysts that study such things say that the male body is still growing and strengthening into the early 20s. I mean, Tukapita might have a different-looking body and might be stronger with more gap power two years from now than he does now. Love it. Great stuff, Hags. We'll talk to you in three minutes for the game. And, hey, story time tomorrow. Excited about the return of story time. Me too. All right, Tim Haggerty coming up next. Chihuahuas, Salt Lake City Bees right here on 600 ESPN El Paso.